0: Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Canadian Story. Uh, I'm really excited for this one. Uh, My cousin and, well, I have two cousins on the line right now, Zach Gerber and Dan Latham. Dan Latham, welcome to the show I've known you since the moment you were born. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Literally.
0: (laughs) Literally. Uh, We have been the closest of comrades. We've had a falling out, a reunification. Uh, (laughs) This is my oldest and probably deepest friendship uh, that I have with you. So it's it's a real pleasure to have you on this show because there's a lot of synergy in our relationship, a lot of shared history, and I think a lot of shared values and definitely shared tastes. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with all that. So uh, I'm excited because this is also the first episode of a weekly show that you'll be joining me on uh, to talk about entrepreneurship, labor, and how to build businesses. Uh, you and I, when we're together, are constantly riffing on these ideas. And, I, and it just mm-hmm. occurred to me that it, why are we keeping this to ourselves? Why wouldn't we share this with the world? It's it's too beautiful to keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh,
2: yeah, always looking for... Uh, you know, new ideas, and um, you know wherever that may come from.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, a couple of things. The first is I'd like you to speak a little bit about the song you're writing because that that plays into uh, something that you and I have talked a lot about, which is that there needs to be more private sector support for artists. But it does. But it should be private sector people deciding art that they want created, and then proposing it and having uh, artists bid on it, bid on it.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's maybe, uh, you know, a bit of, uh, uh, putting it in capitalistic terms maybe, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like there are, there's a lack of, it's not even necessarily that there's a lack of funding for arts in Canada, but, uh, there's a lack of intelligent capital being deployed, I think in terms of. Uh, Ah,
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's misallocated in a lot of ways and not just government funding, but I feel like the private, like there has to be a lot of rich people who, if you ask them about ideas they have of art would have things that they want created. And, and I feel like those people are just not being connected to artists. So what Dan and I are doing for those who don't know is dan is an incredible musician who is a part of a band uh, a number of bands over the years but he's a part of a band right now called mucho disaster and he's also a solo artist um and he is currently writing a song about our grandfather uh including zach so dan zach and i's grandfather and his farm um and would you like to share with us about that at all dan uh
2: sure yeah I mean it's uh, just partially written uh, so far I mean uh, yeah I have basically the uh, the general construction and like you know uh, mel- pretty pretty um you know relatively ironed out melody ideas and you know lyrics for ver- first verse chorus type thing but um so yeah it's not uh, it's not finished yet but uh yeah just um working with the idea of uh you know untold canadian stories you know and
0: yes uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: our grandpa was from um and basically grew up his whole life um in a, a town called east Garifraxa, which was uh um near like uh like so near like the grand valley river and uh like orange Orangeville. Away, um probably about yeah like 45 minutes or so from toronto and um just the uh yeah the heroics of you know just
0: killing nope. the land, right? Just being <laughs> yeah. there getting it done. <laughs> An honorable day of labor,
2: like, you know, day in, day out providing for your family through the Great Depression and um and then at the end of the day, you know, like having a um a place of your own that uh, you know, you're the master of your domain and um that's your land. This is your place in the world, right? Exactly, and you're responsible for it. You know, uh, yeah. nobody's coming along to uh, to hold your hand or whatever.
0: No, so, no one's coming to save you. It's just you. Yeah. This is your world.
2: Yeah, you you live and die at world, the right? fate of your own ingenuity yeah, yeah. and 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 work. You know.
0: It, so, yeah, I mean, basically, you're responsible for, and then and then not only that, in the case of our grandfather being responsible for five daughters. Yeah, uh, which, exactly. is a, which is a pretty rare thing to have that many children nowadays, but like, that's a big responsibility for anyone who has kids. They know how big of a responsibility that would be and, and how we just shouldered that and carried it through.
2: Well, it is a big responsibility, but also it's a bit of a necessity as well to have that many kids because uh, you, you, you essentially need that free labor. You need a
0: workforce. You need a workforce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of workforces, uh, my, uh, Dan has had this incredible idea that he and I were just riffing on recently where he's like, one of the things that we're just not discussing is labor. And the importance of it. So do you, oh, for those who don't know, uh, Dan and I started a roofing company in 2016. Dan has made it quite successful. And he has learned some invaluable lessons over the last four years and what it really takes to to run a startup uh, without investment capital. So like basically you've done this from your, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You're literally yeah. an entrepreneur who, who nobody has ever invested any money in you except no. for yourself. Uh, you did this all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And that has been an, inc- and that's uh, something I've noted. Uh, he built a roofing company. So he just, he's like, I'm going to go into one of the hardest, most competitive businesses in the whole world, and I'm going to become successful at it a- without any help. And so that's kind of a uh, part of th- your story. But why don't you tell us some of the lessons you've learned in having to overcome the obstacles of building a business without? What I would say generally, most most entrepreneurs will ask for money before they start their business.
2: Yeah, it is kind of on uh, vogue, let's say, uh, these days to uh, to start your business on debt, right? Um,
1: yes, yes.
2: And uh, there's definitely uh, that can definitely be a working model for for lots of people, but. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, uh, well, when I started my first business, I was probably about like 21 or something like that, you know? And, um, so I, I, I you know, started, uh, started climbing up from there. I had a bit of like roofing experience, but, um, uh, you know, like back to, to when I was like 17 or whatever, I had my first roofing job and all that. And, um, yeah, you just, uh, uh, you you know, st- start out, get jobs where you can and uh, you have to like, you know, scratch and claw your way. And, um, you can't be, you can't be pretty about it. It's one of the, <laughs>
0: no, this <laughs> is a messy business. Well, I, and it's hard to be pretty about roofing too. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, uh,
2: early on, you're just like, you're thrilled to get a job. Right. Um, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, and then o- over time it's like, yeah, I'm not touching that for, you know, uh, any less than X amount of dollars. Tell, tell the you're...
0: story. So, so the, for those who don't know, Dan broke his heel and has had to run his business without even being able to be on the roof, but is very happy with, uh, his employees who've done a, a phenomenal work, but I love the story you tell of the employees looking up at that one roof that you got shortly <laughs> after hurting your heel. Uh, tell, tell the audience what you, what they said <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
2: yeah, I had, uh, I, I, i I'd, I'd, I'd been in a great place actually before I, um, uh, hurt my, uh, heel. I I broke it, my calcaneus, um, in like late July, I guess, of this year. And, um, yeah, so I was in a great spot as far as business-wise. I had like tons of uh, contracts lined up and, uh, we were just like rocking and rolling basically. And, um, then I broke my foot and I like had been sort of, you know, uh, answering emails and, um, and phone calls and stuff like that. Um, uh, as well, but kind of, you know, fairly incapacitated. It was very tough mentally dealing with that amount of pain and all that. So anyways, uh, i had, I had to basically take a couple of weeks of being pretty ineffective and all that. Um and so you know you're just trying which which like,
0: folks is not not unreasonable for someone who shattered his <laughs> heel in six different pieces and can't even walk and is on <laughs> painkillers and dad's like well you know I was a little bit off my game for a bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know I demand excellence for myself. So Yeah, you expect
0: I like that. You expect excellence for yourself. Yeah. I like that.
2: Um but yeah, so I was the I was a little delayed getting out to some quotes and stuff like that so reasonably enough, you know, certain people had like signed on with other uh, places and stuff like that. So I was, you know, trying to, um, you know, still run a, you know, you know, dec- decently sized company um, through all that. And um, I had um, gone to quote this one job and it was just like logistically kind of a nightmare. Like a, it was a two story house um, on either side of it was a one story house with a metal roof. So it's like, you got to tear off all the shingles. Oh, no. That and, oh um, no. Messy process. And that takes, that's time consuming, right? Cause you got to set up job site protection and all that um so anyways the, the guys got oh and then it was like in a downtown area where it was all like tight corridors and stuff like that and so it's just just a tough job and i quoted it high like i didn't go low on it necessarily but i was like yeah i'll go you know decently high on it and you know it's a bit of an annoying job but whatever and uh so anyways sure sure enough we get there for the first day and like i knew like i was like the guys aren't gonna like this and uh so uh yeah we we pull up and like i can just see like their faces are just like dejected and um they uh the one guy was like um Daniel, what's this like <laughs> are then, we uh, are we
0: hard up for oh yeah the other oh guy yeah, yeah, he's
2: like uh, are we are we hurting
0: for work Dano? and he's like <laughs> well, what, what's this and i was like it's a job buddy <laughs> <laughs> well that, and i want to dig into that right because as an employee who has to do the labor he's looking at this and and his immediate question is looking to you as the authority and questioning you right <laughs> And not not in a, not a bad way, but that that is that mindset. So, as an employer, how do you instill confidence in your employees?
2: Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think, um, really, the um, the way to instill confidence is to demonstrate competence, really, and. Um, I think when you are running an operation where people and your employees in particular can see that, like, you've got it under control, you have a plan, um, you're executing that plan, right? They know what to expect, right? Yeah. Um, It's creating an environment that makes them feel secure, right? Exactly. And safe. And that ties into another, um, kind of principle of mine that I've been working with, uh, over the past year in particular. So, um, is I tell the guys, um, you know. I don't expect you to give 100% every day. I just don't. That's not actually reasonable, uh, and you know. But you, but at the same time, I want you to aspire to something good. You know, I don't want you know. It's, it's striking a balance. You can't come in here in, in here and slack off. So what we're looking for is consistency, right? So where you come in every day, you know what you're going to give, you know what you're going to get, right? And then if you are you know finding yourself in positions where you can give more, then you know um, I'll keep note of that. And like I've I, I gave raises to both of my installers this year uh, through a pandemic, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you uh, you did very well considering the circumstances you were able to to keep them working, I believe, every single day, despite the fact that you're in this immense pain and yeah. and can't even you're not even operational. You can't even move around. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, like, and actually, I want to speak to that because you and I have talked about this a lot. There's a lot of talk out there about how labor is so important. And you've mentioned to me, labor is not just important it's essential in the roofing business. Yeah. 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 Like, well, like good labor is, is how you make or break a roofing company.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Um, cause, uh, early on I was like, I was, I was kind of looking at, um, the whole like roofing market when I was determining whether I wanted to get into it or not on a, on a business level. And I'd been observing it for a bunch of years. Cause like I said, it was, um, you know, one of my first summer kind of, jobs, like, summer yeah. jobs in high school type thing. And, uh, um, yeah, I kind of like, I, I I was looking at it from, cause I was like, from a marketing and sales standpoint, I knew like, I could just like, I could crush, crush going it. Um, but, um, what I think I undervalued early on was the value of labor, um, and, and good labor because there's like like it's um and i would really like to revolutionize how uh that industry is conducted in terms of pay scale and stuff like that there really we go
0: so you tell us more about this
2: <laughs> so yeah i do think that um like roofing and really the labor um like the, the labor in the trades in general is uh fairly underpaid and i'd love to see more people that have sort of like the mind and intelligence to become a lawyer like um get into that and like start their own businesses. Cause honestly, like you can, if you're, if you're smart and you can own your own company and um, you know, manage things that way, um, which is a bit more involved and intense than just, um, you know, being, being your own labor, but um, you can easily make, you know, much more as a owner of a trades company than uh, you could, uh, you know,
0: or like, I like, yeah, it's not a any, if you I, own, uh, yeah. If you own a good roofing company and and you treat your employees well, you're going to make way more than a Bay street lawyer.
2: Yeah. 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 If you're just, if you're just a lawyer who like shows up as a job and you know, uh, isn't part of the ownership of the firm. Yeah. You can definitely make a lot more um, in in a company related to the trades than, you know, working for a, for a wage, even in a industry like law. Um, but yeah, uh,
0: Yeah, I think it's it's about ownership, right? Your idea here is to make labor view ownership over their own work in a different way, right?
2: Yeah. And that's something that um, we've discussed as well as like, you know, um, uh, I'm debating for this year, um, you know, putting a a plan in place where I can actually like give my key employees equity in the company so that they have ownership over um, or the outcomes. Right. And it's not just oh, you know, we're doing all this to benefit Dan. No, like we're all actually part of this. We're, we're all benefiting from this. Attitude. The
0: better job we do on this, the ha- the more the we benefit as individuals. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I think I think for so long it, the attitude was like, you know, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm the boss. I get to dictate how things are, blah, blah, blah. But um, I think whether it's just like the current stage of capitalism we're at or what, but uh, the wage that you're paid is almost, uh, like it's taken for granted essentially. Right. And, um, that's like the base qualification as far as what, um, employees are looking for from the employer. And then beyond that, it's like, how am I treated? Uh, is this, you know, a situation where I can enjoy coming into work every day? And that's something i try to do as well. And strike that balance is like, um, you know, I want to, obviously have uh, a high some high standards as far as like our performance and stuff like that and have to you know sometimes quote-unquote lay down the law as far as like if you know didn't have the best day or whatever um, and all that but at the end of the day it should be uh, a place where your employees like coming to work right they like who they work with um, they enjoy they enjoy the day you know and and work hard in the meantime but
0: well you're spending so much of every day working if you're working a 9 to 5 or if you're working and, and obviously roofing is not a 9 to 5 it's more of a, like a 13 hour day or yeah. a, or a 10 hour day it's um, elastic
2: depending because,
0: on because because you you don't work every day of the year right you you've right. got you've got the winter at least well some people do but um one of the things that you've <clears throat> one of the things that you've talked a lot about is uh labor itself not being like, just, just laboring is not valuable. Labor itself, right. just ass labor. Do mm-hmm. you want to you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think there's also um predisposition in, um, you know, the modern psyche, I think. I think maybe partly because it's so um, just standard to, like, have a job, you know? Um right. It right. seems like right now, I don't know if it's, like, I feel like a lot of the air has come out of like entrepreneurialism. And uh, I feel like, you know, 10 years ago, everybody was like, oh, I have a business. And, you know, um, it was, you know, something that brought in, you know, 150 bucks a week at like a craft, right. right, right, <laughs> not, right. Yeah, I'm not trying to like pick on any one point being like, it was cool to like have your own like little gig or whatever. And then I think like, you know, some people realize like, Oh, uh, that wasn't worth it or whatever. And it's like, it's actually hard running a business. And that's, that's why um, so many uh, people, I think, you know, a, a job is so appealing, right? Cause you're absolved of any kind of risk or responsibility and, you know, you don't have to take out liability insurance to be at work. You know what I mean? No, right. Right. I pay two grand a year to make sure that uh, I don't yeah. get married or something bad
0: doesn't happen. It's yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, where
2: did you start that?
0: Well, just, uh, labor is not inherently valuable. And I think right, this, right, is a, right. this is a, this is a concept that is going to offend some of our listeners, but I'm yeah. happy to offend when I when I'm <laughs> trying to teach a point. So uh, I'd like like you to also happily offend.
2: <laughs> yeah. So basically, like, uh, yeah. Point being, I think, and and I have friends too that uh, take the stance that um, you know profit equates to exploitation, which is just not true. You know. Right. Um, right. Like. <laughs> Um, The the fact that um, if if there's a job that needs done, I'm able to uh, locate the work, uh, marry that particular segment of labor to a worker who is able to competently do the work. So the customer is satisfied and then, um, you know, be able to uh, provide resources to the employee who is doing that work that's that's valuable in as much of a job in and of itself as, uh, you know, doing like, you know, manual labor or stuff like that. And um, the point that I was making to you before about like labor is not inherently valuable in and of itself. You need uh, you need to be able to organize and create efficient systems for labor where, um, uh, you know, just because I have a, a pile of rocks in my front yard and like somebody comes along and like, you know, moves it from one side of the yard to the other that's, that's not, not a productive
0: uh, use of labor,
2: right? It's, it's, it's very tough, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of work, yeah. after, you know, <laughs> but I'm not paying you to do that, you know, <laughs> right, right, Unless right. There's a purpose behind uh, uh, why I'm asking you to do that, you know? So,
0: and that's the executive um, function, right? Mm-hmm. That's the entrepreneurial function is to take chaos and bring order to it. And you've talked about a fair bit about how, how much stress that is as well. Right. Cause like, the whole weight is on your shoulders all the risk, yeah. everything is you yeah
2: yeah exactly and like yeah you're responsible for making sure that uh you know there's enough money in the bank there's work coming through that uh the guys can do and you're really uh you're building a whole ecosystem of uh labor and capital you know Um
0: well, yeah and as as you've said to me many times there's a reason they call it an organization right yeah exactly yeah and uh
2: and things uh yeah <laughs> Um, th- things inherently need to be organized
0: and that's what, uh, like you said, that's what, that's what a business is, is bringing uh, order to chaos, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, and on that note, I'd like you to kind of describe your troop, not, not that entrepreneurship isn't your true passion, but like your number one passion, at least as long as I've known you, which is your whole life, yeah. uh, has been music. And I want you to talk a little bit about how you're different than a lot of your fellow musicians.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's um, not up for debate that I am different than, uh, you know, people who are typically um, involved in the arts and, you know, music in particular. Like, I know um, I went to Mohawk College for classical piano and um, I just, uh, it's just a, it's a bit of a different um type of person i guess in that context that was there as opposed to who i believe myself to be and um it's just um i don't know i always uh i from like some of my earliest memories were just being like in awe of like sound you know and i remember hearing like j.s bach play on uh uh, the speakers in, in my house when i was like three years old and i was just like
1: what is that?
0: You know, <laughs> it's beautiful,
2: right? <laughs> and just like you know, and um, I think like a lot of the people that I went to school with, I think like sometimes it was like they were like they enjoyed music, but I just feel like it was so much of like a, um, you know, you know ego measuring contest as far as like you know people would come and be like oh you know talking like all, all these core extensions and stuff like that and as if the, the intellectual exercise of it was what made it inherently good and I feel oh like,
0: go, go keep going on this this is exactly <laughs> what I wanted you to talk about
2: and I feel like there wasn't maybe a lot of like soul you know it was very uh dry and rote everybody trying to sound like each other and copy and whatever and like Man,
0: like just what be- or, or like what's popular? How do we become famous? How do we? No, 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 not how- even
2: that, honestly. Oh. Uh, because uh, no, they were like kind of diving into um, like um, in particular, like jazz and stuff. And I love jazz, uh, it's a great art form, but like you know to be and but they would be they would uh they were of the opinion i think in a lot of ways that like jazz was like the be all end all that was like the pinnacle of you know musical performance and so we're just gonna get in our little echo chamber of like you know jazz performance and you know everybody else who like those non-jazzers like they don't really you know get music they don't like get that, it you know? they don't get
1: right yeah it right. was all
2: like entrance to a kind of Zach know,
0: Zach would have fun. you heard a lot of that and you because Zach's also been in the music industry for a long time. Zach, have well, you
2: his would be a bit different, I think, because he wasn't like with Walk Off the Earth, like uh that is a bit more of like a poppy rock thing. True.
0: Like true. true. I,
1: I see both. <clears throat> I see both though, because we've had um the well, I, Joel went to Mohawk, their drummer for starters. So he oh, went, okay. he didn't he didn't finish. Um and then we had um we had a trumpet player come in, and I'm not sure, I don't think he went to Mohawk either. Um, but he, he was incredibly, incredibly educated. But what was cool about him, um, to kind of counter your point, is that he had all of the intellectual knowledge and he had all of the chord extensions and all of the notes and all of that. But he also had the soul and just had a mm. passionate love for pretty much any music and i think that i would say that's maybe the reason that he got the job touring yeah probably and actually
0: that that really well describes what i think of you daniel is that you actually do have the technical knowledge as well but the technical knowledge isn't what you love about music
2: right but i think um i think there is a point to that though that the uh the intellectual side of it and the the technical knowledge is uh Useful, like I I wouldn't go as far as to say necessary, honestly, but uh, definitely very useful in like being able to execute uh different ideas, right? And uh, um, but the
0: creativity, and this is something you've talked a lot about with chess, uh, but the creativity is the key, wouldn't you agree? mm -hmm. Like, uh,
2: yeah, well, like, like with chess, and um, chess seems to be a great analogy for so many things in life, but uh, I think, um, like yeah, with, with chess, like you got to have the fundamentals down, but what separates a good player from a great player is the imagination and the ideas that they're capable of generating. And, um, you know, you can be a very good player and just play, you know, simple, good moves. And like, you could be, you know, one of the best in the world, you know? Um, but, uh, those truly elite, um, performers in chess and like, and in music as well, it's like, it's the um it's the originality of the ideas that they're generating, you know, like
0: me. Yeah, special. It's nobody, special.
2: Yeah, nobody would have quite come up with it like that, you know?
0: Yeah. Know. Well and and this is what makes uh the sound of the great bands, right? Is yeah. is that is it sounds they, like the Beatles. Nobody class. sounds like them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um what is it like to not rely on music as a musician for any part of your income? Um,
2: I mean, uh, I just don't even see it as something like, I hate even honestly thinking about like monetizing it. Uh, like if, um, if I get, um, you know, money coming through, uh, music related, obviously I'm happy, but, um, I just, uh, I just kind of made the decision a few years ago to just like decouple that from, um, you know, just to, to separate my income in commerce from art. And- how
0: fr- how freeing is that? Because I feel the same way about politics. It was only two years ago that I separated my financial well being from my political reality, and the yeah. level of freedom that I felt from that has been arguably almost dangerous for me because it's really uh, <laughs> taken me on some some very you know I'm great, I'm awesome episodes. But at the core of it, that freedom means everything to me yeah um and I would just I don't know what it's like for you in terms of art but I'd like to hear about that
2: yeah I think um yeah because I was like I and and it was so um kind of I mean sad a little bit in a way honestly to um observe like even um the, the 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 top professors at Mohawk uh they actually make pretty good money I think um like you know the department heads, like there's probably a half dozen of them or so that make probably like about 150 K a year, um, from their teaching, um, position at Mohawk and then, you know, um, performing and gigs and stuff like that on the side. But, um, the, um, the, the, lesser teachers who are also, you know, pretty incredible musicians and had like dedicated their entire lives to doing that. Um, they kind of like barely got by, you know, and, um,
0: and these are and these are like the people who are at the top of their game. What about your regular musician who's trying yeah, to? Yeah, they're playing like concert by? halls
2: and stuff, yeah. you know, and like to you know, thousand, two thousand people routinely, you know, um, and uh, yeah. But there was this whole uh, push, I think, um, especially coming from Mohawk, that was like, um, you you haven't uh, you know been a success musically unless you're unless it's your full-time job and i think that was so like deflating for so many people because a it's very tough to you know make um consistent and good livings um creating music even though it's like something that is so integral to our lives which you know maybe it would be interesting to uh reevaluate how we um value music but that's a whole different uh topic of conversation but um, all that to say the, uh, there, there, yeah, there was plenty of, um, professors that were like phenomenal musicians who were just like struggling to get by. And like, um, at one point, um, I remember having a conversation with a friend and, um, there was a professor that had come from Mohawk. It was a buddy from Mohawk. And, um, the professor was like, oh yeah, you know, um, just kind of whining about like how hard it was to, to make it as a piano player and whatever. And, and it was like, you know, my buddy was like, have you ever think <laughs> you considered like, I, I forgot how he put it, but it was like, um, you know, have you ever considered like, you know, working?
0: <laughs> Getting a job. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is interesting because I know that there will be musicians who say that you can't be truly great at your art if you're distracted. But I think you're truly great at your art. And I think the world is about to see that in a lot of different ways with some of the stuff you have coming out um how you've just completely rejected this notion altogether you've rejected the notion that you have to choose and you said I'm gonna do both why why don't I did you make that decision consciously or was it just kind of how your life evolved
2: yeah I made it consciously for sure because I was like um I've, I've always wanted to like um to do music and um and all that and like um, I just, like, I reached the point where, like, I I, would been, I was working at a studio in Toronto, and, um, uh, you know, it's, like, things were going pretty well, and, like, I was working with some cool people and stuff like that, um, but, uh, to the point about, like, how hard it is to make it, like, you can be involved in some, you know, cool things, like, um, I was doing stuff with uh one of the weekends producers um a bit and stuff like that. But um yeah, to the point of like it's hard to you know make it financially viable. Uh you know, I, I was just I, I reached a point where I was like, well, you know, um yes, yeah, su- super stardom's like not uh <laughs> like <laughs> a bit there right now, you know. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and 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 I don't want to uh like keep living in this financial uh
0: like basically in 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 like poverty
2: uh yeah yeah essentially you know um and so I was like and, and then I also reached the point where I was like well my uh my music and my art really isn't benefiting by me not having money either right, <laughs> right. So, well
0: yeah because psychologically you're in this place of stress and like yeah, how psycho- are you supposed to be truly creative if if you're wondering what, what you're gonna eat tomorrow
2: yeah exactly um and uh, and also like you know related to like You know, I I can't afford to buy like the gear I want and stuff like that.
0: Yes. Well, and and one of the things that so one of the reasons that we're starting this show with Dan and I, the lexicon of labor, it's not just about small business. It's also going to be about art. And one of the things that I want to say about art and I'm not an artist, but I would say that I'm a lover of art, but like a Hmm. huge lover of art. I I think I have the same appreciation for artists and 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 zach do just the inability to play anything worth anyone hearing um, but uh but my point on that is i want to decouple this idea this this scarcity mindset the scarcity mindset of a person's own talent right so there's people out there who don't believe they could be great at something if it didn't get dedicate everything to it right and i see you as a living example of proving that wrong, that you can have both. It's the same uh as women who say, Well, you can't have a career and children. Why not? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it'll be a little harder, but I, I hold you up, Dan, as an example of someone who broke free of these social norms that are teaching us we can only do things one way. And you're like, No, I'm gonna be a great artist, but I'm also going to not live in poverty.
2: Yeah, yeah. actually, um, it's kind of timely. I heard this um, uh, quote, actually, from Conor McGregor. He's got a fight coming up on uh, Saturday. Um, And it was a quote of his back from uh, uh, 2013, I believe it was. And um, his quote was, uh, like Vincent Van Gogh, uh, he lost his mind in his game. I have lost my mind also, but I'm happy with that. I feel to reach a high pinnacle in anything you do, you must become insane to what you are
0: doing. No. You, know, like... <laughs> you must you gotta love Pilmaco, man. You gotta love Pilmaco. <laughs> yeah, and like
2: uh I thought, man, that is so true. Like uh to achieve anything great, um you have to be obsession is the path to greatness, you know. Yes. Yes. And uh yeah, I think um yeah, it's uh it's it's tough to let go of um it's, it's the FOMO essentially you know like uh and I think with the internet age I think I don't know if you could say we have a uh, a lack of greatness right now I don't know if, you know maybe well that's just...
0: you, you know what Peter Thiel agrees with you right and there's a lot yeah. of people who do is that we haven't seen real human innovation on a let's make our lives better sort of scale we've we've seen yeah. huge huge innovation in tech But, Mm -hmm. but has that made our life better? I mean, the people who made the social dilemma would argue has made their, our lives a lot worse. And in fact, not only has it made our lives worse, it's made our, our relationships worse. And there's no doubt of that. I think it's
2: made our minds worse as well. Cause I think like, just, I've been weirdly trying to put my shoe myself in the shoes of like someone who lived in like the 1950s, which I mean, that was already, you know, had, had, you know, several of the staples of uh, modern life. Um. In, involved in that uh, you know era of time but um, really like from that period and like before even people had so much time with their own
0: minds you know to just like explore oh, I thought uh, about that too it's like you're not distracted by anything
2: mm-hmm. yeah there's no Netflix to turn on you know
0: you could maybe read a book you know <laughs> right which is which but, is and, and I want people to understand there's a huge difference I I know that like here's the difference that I the difference between watching something or even listening to something and I'm saying this as a podcaster but the difference it, uh, between reading is categorical they're yeah. not the same because when you're it's reading fake versus passive thank you, know. you thank you yes that's exactly what I mean yeah um, and speaking of that actually Dan has a great song coming out we don't know when but I want you to tell the listeners about the concept of around it. And then we'll take that, how we're talking about the concepts around songs and we'll talk about your and I's favorite, well, our song, our together (laughs) song, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you talking about, uh,
2: the comforts of modern living? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, um, there's a song I wrote like a few months ago, um, called the comforts of modern living. And, um, yeah, basically, uh, the concept behind the song is like, um, it, it's a it's not an indictment but it's not a celebration of uh modern life either it's an observation
0: it's an yeah. observation yeah yeah
2: um and uh the the lyrics are like um a tad abstract it's not being like super literal with like like iPhones are bad or or you know or good or whatever the whatever the case may be but um basically uh it's talking about like uh how everything's at our fingertips and all the comforts that we could ever imagine, uh, or want are right there for us. You know, like we've talked about, like, you know, we can just order food now and it just comes right to our yeah, door. Just, just it's up. On <laughs> yeah, anytime we want, help, you know? Yep. Um, but maybe you know back in the day you're getting in your car you're going for an excursion and who knows what you run into
0: right like or or, um, or the thoughts you have on that drive right right right
2: and what yeah what you see just by happenstance and um, your yeah. And I mean, maybe something else happens at home, but it's just such a reality defining shift that like, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves in different positions now than
0: we were before. And like all, all for the sake of like immediacy and comfort, you know? Yeah. Our and, whole thought ma- matrix now is around maximizing comfort. And the, mm-hmm. uh, so my brother-in-law had had a, wasn't a podcast, it was a YouTube channel called stay uncomfy. And I feel like your life is basically an embodiment of that concept, right? You're like, (laughs) I'm going to stay uncomfortable because discomfort is what causes growth.
2: Right. Yeah. And I do, I do believe that for sure. I mean, um, yeah, there was like with my business, uh, for example, there was so many challenges and, um, you know, all that getting it started and like, um, I had to learn a whole lot, you know, and, um, Uh, But but at the same time, I feel like um, every time in my life where I've gone through something like challenging like that, where I've had to, you know, adapt or die, essentially, um, it's like, you know, it's a cliche. You've adapted. You've adapted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then when you uh, when you do face that and adapt and like you just, you know, for next time and that's what experience is, you know. Um, uh, Well, And
0: and this goes to something you and I talk about a lot. Failure is not the enemy.
2: No failure. Like, uh, I, I think it was Peter Thiel actually to bring it back again to him who raised the point. Um, you know, uh, there was, there was a time around 2010 where failure was like super sexy and like the entrepreneurial or whatever. And it was like, everybody was like, it was, it was like, owning the resume failure of and,
0: failures. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 And he, Peter Thiel was like, you know, back uh, when I was, uh, starting out in business, fail, failing was a bad thing, you know, <laughs> I don't want to like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to like over glorify it, but, um, yeah, I mean, like you can learn absolutely as much from a failure as you can from a win, and if you, I think you um, can actually
0: learn more. Well, you should learn more from a failure than a win.
2: Yeah, because if yeah, you're not I,
0: learning from your, if you're not learning from your failures, then what are you doing? Mm-hmm, yeah, it's um
2: yeah, it kind of goes back to uh, the conversation we've had a few times about like. Maximizing your strengths versus uh, shoring up your weaknesses, and like what the proper balance of that is. Um, and it's an interesting yeah, that, conversation.
0: Yeah, that's a topic. That yeah, that's to a topic, that's of, a topic um, I want to do on our next week episode. Actually, is is what it like because because I think our society has completely lost their minds on failure. They treat failure so so some treat failure as an indelible black mark on your character. So if you say one wrong thing, the mob will come for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's on one side. And then on the other side, uh, parenting, helicopter parents, we're trying to avoid any even even a single failure, like any discomfort isn't allowed. And so, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a topic, but that's too long of a topic for right now. We only have 10 minutes left. Um, I want to go. We'll we'll go into the songs maybe the next time. But one of the things I really want to talk with you about is the working class you've experienced some real tragedy around the opioid crisis in your life, but more importantly, you're on the front lines of that crisis. And you maybe talk a little bit about the tragedy you're seeing in in the world, but also what you think can be done about it.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think it's a lot worse than people really realize, to be honest. Um, it's like yeah like you can everybody can kind of identify you know like your um you know you know the homeless person that you see that just looks really messed up it's like oh yeah must have a problem with drugs type thing but uh, there's a lot of like really like you know beautiful kids and um uh just like good people solid uh character and all that. And, uh, I think one of the biggest things to realize is that, um, you know, being a drug addict in no way, um, reflects your character,
0: you know? Ah, thank you. Because I think a lot of people think of drug addicts as these degenerates. Drug Mm -hmm. addicts are people who got caught in a dopamine cycle that they can't get out of.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And in roofing, like, I would say like a good half
0: at least of people that like, you'll, uh, you'll try to, you know, half of the helped. workforce folks, half of an entire workforce addicted to opioids pretty much. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, like that's, uh, uh, I mean, that that's, that's recently for me, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say like half of everybody in roofing is like an opioid addict, but, um, yeah, I mean like of the past
0: Yeah, sorry. I I have a, a habit for hyperbole as Dan <laughs> knows very well. Uh <laughs> yeah. but there this is a real problem that you're encountering on a semi-daily basis. On a daily basis for sure. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um and uh and it's really just sad like I had a guy this year that um he uh he he was expecting a kid and he managed to get clean but I was uh, I had him working with me uh through the summer and um I remember like there was days where like, you know, he'd come in in the morning and, um, just be like, you know, the whole morning, just like completely like looking like sick to his stomach and like gut wrenching and like, and all that. And, um, you know, you needed, uh, he needed to use, you know, and, uh, it was just like, and just hearing and, you know, and yeah, being with him directly every day. Um, he, and just hearing him from his own work from his mo- own mouth saying like, I wouldn't wish this feeling on my worst enemy and knowing how truly he really meant that just like in absolute agony, you know? um, And, uh, and then, I mean, I had uh, an employee last year that um, I'd been really concerned about for the entirety of the year, really. And he lost his like girlfriend, I guess, earlier in the year or not, not to, like she didn't die, but like, right, yes, broke up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was just like, like heartbroken over it he was like 20 22 24 at the most um and you know I was I felt that at that age too you know like uh just like you know your girlfriend's like your world and like yeah, you know, yeah. You just um you, you don't you don't want anybody else and like you're just like so like he um he had been like he, he was such a smart and bright kid too like like when you, like, you know, my mom, like, uh, you know, yes. kind of like a, yeah. a church mouse type uh, <laughs> character, you know, um, right. she right. was like, oh, I just, I, she, met, she met Alex, and uh, she was like, oh, I just love that Alex, like, he's such a sweet boy, and, like, um, just, like, just thought he was the sweetest kid, and uh, he, and I'd, I'd been concerned about him all year, because, like, he would, uh, he would show up and he could build anything, man. Like, I'm telling you, like, I would be like, um, Alex, like I need, um, I need, um, this section of like the roof, like completely reframed, which like, um, involves like a lot of, you know, geometry and like, you know, tricky cuts and piecing it all together and like it needs to be solid, you know, and he would just nail it every time, like, um, young kid, like I said, but just like such a, so bright and, um, yeah, I'd been worried about him because, like, he'd, you know, m- miss work and then he'd come in and, like, he would be, like, s- sleeping, like, at lunch and stuff like that, like, you know, clearly, like, drug induced and all that. And, um, yeah, he, uh, he worked with me all year and then, like, over the winter, um, whether it was just, like, we didn't have as much going on as far as work to keep him preoccupied or whatever. I, like, I can't say what was going on, like, in his own head, but yeah, like, he, took his life. And, um, it just like, you know, I'd had, um, I'd had people close to me that like had committed suicide. Well, not like, but not, not, not close to me, close to me, just people, I guess people I that I knew. And he was the, the, I would say the closest person to me that's, um, uh, you know, done that or that's happened to, and it was just like, it's quite a jarring moment, you know. And
0: Well, I know I know you were incredibly gutted by it, and you describe a moment where you're listening to a song and how that song spoke to you. And I, I guess that brings a full circle to the power of art, uh, a song mm-hmm. that we both love, which is um, it's by Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, marching Bands of Manhattan. Mar- marching Bands of Manhattan. And there's a line in that song that I want you to talk about for a little bit, but it's sorrow drips into your heart through a pinhole. And there is comfort in the sound. Yeah, just like a faucet that leaks and there's comfort in the
2: sound. Yes, and yes. It says, uh, but while you debate half empty or half full, uh, slowly rises, your love is gonna drown. And like, yeah, I, I had that song uh, come on in the car and like, li- like literally just wept, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Just like, oh. And it, it's like, so,
0: that's what great art does. Great art describes what it feels like to have something happen.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, um, yeah, like, because in that, by listening to that song, I could just feel the energy that like, might have been like going through his mind as he's, you know, considering, uh, like to end his life, you know, and like how
0: sorrowful must a place that, uh, you know. Like how bad could how bad does it have to get for for that to happen? And then I what guess must, the, what
2: must you be feeling inside? Yes, 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 you know? exactly,
0: it's not, exactly. It's not about the. It's actual, not about right? external. Yeah, it's not about external anything. Yeah, but like the existential terror, you know? And it's also about that you know that dripping sorrow that's slowly building up, and and your love is gonna drown. Oh, it's just such a good line. Yeah, like I, I mean, Death Cab. We've talked about this so many times before. They're they're not nearly as famous as they should be.
2: No, for sure. I think it's partly because like the lead singer doesn't necessarily have like a typically great or like powerful voice. It's kind of like thin, and you know he doesn't sound like a singer per se. He's more of like a, a lyricist who can kind of carry a tune. So I don't. He's know an
0: that... incredible lyricist. But yeah, that's a good point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like I yeah I love him. I would say that they're one of the most like underrated bands of the modern era. I think like. I've mean, compared to, like a lot of the bands that they get like kind of compared to, in like the indie scene, if you want to call it that. I think they're just like head and shoulders better than
0: <laughs> right, yeah, than all those. Than guys. Than. Yeah. And then
2: they haven't they haven't really written like a you know a pop smash hit either. Like I mean, Crooked Teeth is kind of a somewhat big song, but like they've never ever tried to write like the big song, you know? No, no, exactly. Um, but to your to, to your point about um you know, great music making you feel something or like, you know, offering you a perspective. I think um, something that I've uh, been bringing up a lot lately that kind of like, uh, I do it somewhat for shock value, I think, to be honest, just because like people who know me and like, you know, I like, you know, I'll like study jazz in my free time. Like it's kind of, it takes people um um catches people off guard a little bit but um taylor swift's first album yes
0: yes uh, I, you brought this up to me and it shocked me it, but then when i listened to it i was like he's right this is incredible yeah. uh and, well, yes i'd love for you to explain this this, this is one of a, this is a great insight
2: yeah her her, her first album fearless and I, I think honestly she's had good stuff since then as well like and i'm not like a super fan or anything like that but i just i, I think in particular that first album there's absolutely a reason why that and i mean uh, like love story and stuff like that um was obviously a huge hit on it on itself but that album as a whole and she had but she had so many hits from that album and i think why is it's just a magical uh encapsulation
0: of like a 16 year old girl's feelings you know? Yes. Yes. And, 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 and go, go. Yeah. Give us some examples because you do so good on this.
2: <laughs> um, like, like I don't know if you want like song by song or what, but uh, I just think like so. Um.
0: um a, a few lyrical clips is what I want that that encapsulate what you're trying to describe.
2: Yeah, I might um, uh, get some of the lines wrong, but I'll try to get like the general uh, theme of them. Like, I remember um, she has one line. It's about like, the song's about like this guy and like, um, it's like, uh, as I mean, most, most of her songs are, but, (laughs) um, um, the chorus goes like, uh, something's on the lines of, um, we're screaming and fighting and kissing in the rain and it's 4am and I'm cursing your name. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, she just has like so many like little gems like that, that, um, and and just like musically too it's like the, the melodies like fit the whole like energy and like i think it's very tough it's it's one of the tough things to nail about songwriting i think is that like you know balancing
0: lyrical feel versus what that communicates alongside the the music right um, well you, you've talked you've talked about this but music is distilled emotion and lyrics should yeah. amplify the emotion if they're not amplifying the emotion of the music then your your lyrics suck
1: I can, I can weigh in on this. Cause I'm actually, yeah, uh, yeah, a, yeah I'd love to like, hear this. I'm Zach. a huge Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> 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 so much like maybe some of her later stuff, I feel like it kind of tapered off. But anyway, for me, I think what Taylor Swift does so effectively, um, what, what, what she is to me is she's an incredible storyteller. And you talk about the distillery of emotion. I agree with that. The reason, the reason I think that her lyrics connect with people so deeply is because when, a person is is experiencing the emotion, they know that emotion is truth, but they don't necessarily have the words to describe and understand it. And I think what Taylor Swift does a lot, like a lot, is that she very clearly sums up the emotion in easy to understand word and story that immediately cuts to the core of everyone who's ever felt that emotion.
0: Oh, so, Zach.
1: And that's,
0: yes. <laughs>
2: that's that's what pop music is essentially. Right. It's like, um, at its best, it's like, it's harnessing these like extremely deep emotions that might like exist kind of uh, in random places in society. And just like, it's a pop music is a lightning bolt, you know, it strikes down the center and um, you know, uh yeah, it, it cuts to the the, the it cuts all, all the fluff is cast aside, you know. Yeah, and you're just left with the it's uh Main Street, you know?
0: <laughs> There's nothing wrong well, with Main Street. I think I think the three of us are gonna be talking about music and uh and things like that for the rest of our lives if we're doing this every week. There
2: is by uh, the way, uh one Canadian that uh um speaking of Taylor Swift that um Taylor Swift in fact worships. That goes by the name of uh, Joni Mitchell.
0: Yes, yes. And next time, we'll talk about Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and why we think, at least, well, I think that Leonard Cohen is the greatest Canadian uh, who doesn't have the reputation that he should. Like, Terry Fox has a reputation that is worthy of him. Dwayne Gretzky, a lot of our greatest uh, people have good reputations. But Leonard Cohen is the unsung hero of our music scene, in my mind uh yeah. so we'll discuss that and uh zach next time i'd like you to weigh in more on that as well because obviously zach has a, a pretty deep appreciation for not only music but the music scene itself um unfortunately uh, man this has been so great to there have be you on no here, uh, there would be no
2: taylor spitz without johnny mitchell don't get that twisted
0: <laughs> exactly yeah so on that note uh we gotta go but thank you so much for coming on dan it's gonna be great to do this with you right. weekly I love your insights. I hope everyone else loves them as much as I do. If you don't love them as much as I do, I don't care because we're doing this every week. So uh, (laughs) I'm doing it because I love it. And the rest of you guys can figure out why I love Dan so much and why uh, I want him to be educating you all like he educates me on the the many creative things that pop into his head. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, bro. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TheCadStory. That's The C-A-D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.